I know that I'm sure everyone here had something they could be doing on a Saturday night, but you know, you all showed up. You had an honor that you have for the Word, and I know that your desire is to have the Lord minister something to your heart so that you can go out and accomplish what He's assigned you to do. So put your expectation on that you're hearing from the Lord tonight, that the pastor's heard from the Lord tonight, and that you're able to take it to heart, apply it to your life, and keep on keeping on. Hallelujah. It's a good night to be in the presence of saints and the one who we worship. You know, we have, um, if you just do a little bit of reading historically of nations that are closed to the gospel, you, you start to realize how much of a gift that we have. That you and I can come together. We're not concerned anyone's going to break the door down or tell on us that we had church or, or anything like that. There's no secrets to be had. Just an open display of the goodness of God. And so let's live that way. Let's live with an, in an open display of God's goodness. Uh, Proverbs 4, and let's look at verse 5. We've been talking about wisdom. Get Wisdom is the name of this series. This is number 10 in the series, I believe. And I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to the ones that came before this because we covered in 10 sermons, we covered a lot of material that is the basis for what we're talking about tonight. And if you only come here, if this is your first night with us tonight, you may wonder, well, why are they saying this or why are they saying that? Well, you got to remember, we've had what, 10 to 13 hours, 14 hours of teaching on this where we've probably covered that question that you're holding in your mind. So if you go to our website, you can just go back and, and find the sermons that came before this one, listen to them and get some of those questions probably answered. <clears throat> so here in Proverbs chapter 4, let's just look right in, uh, in verse 5. It says, get wisdom, get understanding, don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom, and she will watch over you. Love her, and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. See, we're talking about honoring something. You know, what you honor, you cherish. Cherish wisdom. The spirit of wisdom is from the Lord. It goes on, it says, cherish her, she will exalt you, and if you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor, that's grace, on your head, and she will give you a crown of beauty. So we're commanded to get wisdom, and we looked at definitions. Wisdom means skillful, just the most basic de definition of it. And, uh, and we saw in Ecclesiastes where it says, a wise heart knows the right time and procedure the right time and place. And that's part of what wisdom is, is you have some understanding, you have some knowledge, but wisdom is knowing how to apply that understanding and knowledge in a way that brings godly results. That's what wisdom is. And then we, we've looked and, and discovered on why is wisdom supreme? Well, wisdom is supreme because that's having the knowledge of God's will for you. When you know what God wants you to do, you're no longer in question to what he, the steps He wants you to take. That is you now being able to operate in God's wisdom for you. And we had an entire sermon pretty much on that. We looked at ten different ways of how, wis, how we get wisdom. How wisdom comes to us. Different vehicles by which we 
We lay hold of wisdom. And then we discovered in all of this a very clear connection between wisdom and riches. Wisdom and riches. In fact, the last sermon and the one before that is where we started looking at this connection. And in Chronicles, it tells us that Solomon, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in wisdom and in riches. All the kings of the world of his time. He surpassed them in both wisdom and riches. And, and so I'll just ask the question, the obvious question is, did Solomon's great wisdom bring him great wealth? Yeah, there was very clearly a link between those two. So, does the wisdom of God bring wealth with it? And, and we can answer that confidently. Yes, because we looked at Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that clearly tells us that. And we're going to look at some of them tonight, just very quickly read over them. And then finally, the question that is people answer even more slowly is does God want you to be rich? You know, we, the very first question is was there, even in this house, even after all the teachings we've had on it, just take note, that when I ask the question, is, is there a link between Solomon's wisdom and his riches? Is a loud yes goes across the crowd. Is wisdom and riches connected? A quieter yes. Does God want you to be rich? Two people. Yes. A few nods. Do you see that? Alright? So pay attention to the Scriptures. Don't, don't give any mind to my opinions. Alright? My opinions are like everyone else's. They're, they're just opinions. But when we find Scripture on something, that's what we're going to hook our faith and, and belief to. That's how what we're going to allow to shape us and mold us because that's where truth is. Alright? And if you have the idea that, well, maybe God wants me to be poor, just let this, these Scriptures mold you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a number of Scriptures out of Proverbs. I'm not even going to necessarily give you references. I'm just going to read. I told my wife earlier tonight, I said, Take a guess at how many scriptures I have tonight to read to people. I, I normally don't count this kind of thing up, but I thought it was a little more than normal maybe tonight, so I counted how many verses. There's 136 verses you'll all hear tonight. So I'm going to just feed you word. And wh where does faith come from? Hearing the word of God. I had someone say uh, last night to me, uh, Corinne it was, she says, you know, one of the things why she's grown so much here is she realizes that when we, when we say something, it has to be anchored to the truth of the word. We can't just spout out opinions. We need to have it be backed by scripture or else we shouldn't be saying it or believing it. I'm like, yes, someone gets it, right? I know a whole bunch of you get it. So I'm going to start in Proverbs 3 and verse 13. <clears throat> Happy is a man who finds wisdom, who acquires understanding. For she is more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can equal her. Talking about wisdom. Now, listen what comes in wisdom's right hand. Let me hold up the right one. It's to your left side, but it's my right hand. Long life is in her right hand. So could wisdom make you live longer? Yeah. Well, what's in the other hand? In her left is riches and honor. Wisdom is coming with two hand fistful of things. One's long life and the other one is riches and honor is what wisdom comes with. Let's go over to... I'm going to read... If you're in Proverbs 4, just go with me over to chapter 8. So, 
Wisdom is the one that's speaking here. Wisdom is the subject. And wisdom begins to speak down in verse 17. Wisdom states, I love those who love Me. And those who earnestly search for Me, find Me. With Me, wisdom is saying, with Me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. So there's four things that accompany wisdom. Riches, honor, lasting wealth, and righteousness. It goes on down in verse 21, and wisdom is giving wealth as an inheritance to those who love Me and filling their storehouses, their treasuries. So do you love her? Do you love wisdom? He didn't, wisdom did not say, I am giving as riches as an inheritance to those who know about Me. There's a difference. It says those who love Me. What do you do to something that you love? You seek to attain it. You, you take care of what you have. You treat it as though it were very, very significant. <clears throat> Here's another one for you out of Proverbs 10. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. So if God's blessing brings wealth, you know, find me the Scripture that says the blessing of the Lord brings poverty. It doesn't exist. But yet it gets preached. I mean, I know whole circles that preach that poverty is next to godliness. But they're not preaching a Gospel when they do that. Let's look at, well, you know, I've turned to me in 15.6. I'm still in Proverbs. The house of the righteous. So what kind of house is it? A righteous house. The house of the righteous has great wealth, but trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. Yes, it's talking about money. In 22.4, humility is the fear of the Lord. If you've ever thought, well, what is humility? It's the fear of the Lord. It's knowing who you are with God and knowing who you are without Him. And humility, the fear of the Lord, has wages that come with it. Just like the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Well, here it says its wages are rich, the fear of the Lord, humility, its wages are riches and honor and life. Well, I thought we were talking about wisdom. How come we're suddenly talking about humility? Well, I got another scripture for you. Proverbs 11.2 says, with humility comes wisdom. So they're linked. When humility pulls up in the car, in the passenger seat sits wisdom. In the back seats, riches, wealth, long life, honor, all of that's with them too. In 14.24, it says the crown of the wise is their wealth. The crown of the what person? The wise. Is the crown of the wise is their wealth. Their wealth. So, let me ask again, does God want you to be rich? Yes, yes, yes. He wants you to be rich. In fact, he, he made it so clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 9, you can find where it says Jesus Christ became poor so that you might be made rich. And it is talking about finances, not something spiritual. The reason I know that is because all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 is all about taking an offering for the saints in Jerusalem or wherever they were sending it. They were taking an offering. And in the context of collecting this offering, he makes the statement right in the middle of it, oh, by the way, make sure that you do this. And oh, don't you know that Jesus Christ was made poor so that you might be made rich? It doesn't get more plain than that. 
does God want you to be wealthy is like asking, does God want you to be saved? Or does God want you to live free of sin? It's a very obvious and a silly question if you just read your Bible. And we see that God, God's desires for us are very clearly stated in Scripture. And He does not desire for money to have you. That's also very clearly put. And we've looked at Scripture. We'll read some tonight again. And, but He does desire for you to have money so that you can be an accurate representation of Him. He wants you to be a conduit of His blessing. And when you have nothing to give financially, you're limited a lot more in the blessing that you can be to somebody. Sure, you can encourage them with a word. You can pray with them. You can believe God with, with, with the, if you're poor, believe God with someone else. But one of the things that you're not able to do is give them something. Unless you're going to work a miracle, right? Like Jesus did with the feeding of the 5,000. You know, they had enough money on hand to feed some of them, but not all of them. They had uh, three-quarter years wages in their account at the time, apparently. And, but yet we see that He walked in divine wealth because He fed 5,000 people. I mean, that's pretty divine, isn't it? That's pretty wealthy. How many of you could just go out tonight and feed 5,000 people? Well, it depends how much they eat. It says they were full. And so they went back for second and third helpings. And then there was all this leftover stuff. <clears throat> Look, if you, if you can come through this series and believe that God still maybe wants you to be poor, it's because you are either choosing to believe that in spite of all the Scripture that we have, or you are simply ignorant to what Scripture says. And if you've been here for the teachings, I know you're not ignorant to what the Bible tells you because you're hearing Scripture. So, let's again, let's allow the Word to shape our beliefs. <clears throat> One more thing before we go on. It's really important that we remember that there's always a divine purpose for you having wealth. There is always a godly purpose behind your wealth. It's not just so that you can have yachts and high, live in high-rise penthouses. It's, there's a godly reason for you to be just extremely wealthy. Because the more that you have available to you, the more that you can do. The more that you can, the bigger difference that you can make. You know, I personally, I can make some difference in look up at these flags, the work that's going on in, in any one of these countries. I can make some difference but if I had, let's say I was Bill Gates, I could make a whole lot bigger difference, couldn't I? And fund entire outreaches instead of funding part of a month for them. Right? So, again, the focus, the reason for the blessing is to represent the Lord accurately, not just so that we can live a comfortable life. And therein lies the difference. All right, last uh, two weeks ago, no, three weeks ago, I guess, when we were the last sermon in this series, the last teaching, I taught you two things. I taught you how to be poor, and I even had a raise of hands. Who wants to be taught how to be poor? And there wasn't any takers, but I taught you anyhow. And you guys are so good. You sat right there and you listened to it, you saw it. And then we looked at, well, how to be wealthy, how to gain riches. And we looked at scriptures on this and, and what the Word says about it. So, <clears throat> I'm going to read these same scriptures to you just very quickly. And maybe you wonder, well, Pastor, why do you do so much review? Sometimes, 
when you hear something the first time, you get a portion of it. But when you hear it the second time, you go to another level in it, right? And when you hear it the third and the fourth and the fifth time, repetition begins to get it inside of you. It's why that we don't just read our Bible one time and quit. Well, I read it all once. I mean, why do I need to read it again? No, you need to continually allow it to shape and mold you. And you know, most of you forget more than you remember when you leave here. I mean, I forget what I preached from week to week. I have to go back and look at my notes. And I'm the one who said it, right? So I'm probably going to remember it better than anyone. And so I'm not, I'm not faulting you for forgetting. I'm just telling you this is why we have repetition, why we hear it again and again and again. In Proverbs 28, I'm going to read a bunch of verses. I'll just start in verse 19 and skip down through. Whoever chases, we're going to, we're talking about, we're looking at scriptures that teach us actions that lead to poverty. How to be poor. Whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Ever hear of get rich quick schemes? That kind of thing. A person in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. A greedy one is in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. A greedy person stirs up conflict, but whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. One who turns his eyes away from the poor will receive many curses. And then in chapter 21, the one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will himself also call out and not be answered. Remember, we're we're looking at Scriptures that talk about actions that lead to poverty. There's also actions, um, some of those actions are poor management, unused resources. You know, a lot of people, you just look at the continent of Africa, it's one of the richest continents there is, and yet it has the most poor people because they're not utilizing what they have available to them. And whether it be poor management, or maybe it's just ignorance to how to, to use what they have, um, a variety of things. But lack of wisdom, lack of wisdom is shown by poor management. You just look at any area in your life where you've had poor management, there was a lack of wisdom being applied there. Don't look at your neighbor, look at you. In chapter 13, 23, it says the uncultivated field of the poor yields abundant food. Or we might say today, it could yield abundant food. Because it goes on and says, but without justice it is swept away. The uncultivated field, without justice it's swept away. In other words, they have something at their, at their disposal, but they're not using it. and It's not just if you don't use what you've been given. Even the Word says that if you're not faithful with a little, even what you have will be taken away. And so it's not just that they don't cultivate what they have. So because of injustice, it's swept away and it doesn't even exist. But it could. Right? Poor management. In, in chapter 24, it says, I went by the field of a slacker and by the vineyard of one lacking sense. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground. The stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. Listen, teach you just a, a, a little nugget here. A, a nugget of wisdom. Whenever you see somebody do something that you think is dumb, irritating, hurtful, I don't want to be like that, turn that gaze from them right back onto yourself and say, am I doing that anywhere in my life? Maybe not in the same area, but maybe it's showing up, the same thing showing up somewhere else. 
You know, whenever I see someone do something that I'm just like, you know, I immediately go, all right, am I doing that somewhere? And now I make an agreement with myself if I am to change it. And if I can't identify somewhere that I'm doing that, I make an agreement with myself not to do that, but rather to live this way over here. Again, not sitting as their judge, just living a self-examined life. Use this as a trigger. Whenever you see something like this, you know, for example, I'll just make it real simple. You ever sit with someone and all they do is just talk, 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 and you can't get a word in edgewise. And then you go away going, wow, they just talk all the time. Okay, so look at yourself. Do I ever do that? Maybe I do it with a different group of people or a different person. Right? And so judge yourself and take your judgment off of them. Anyhow, that's a side note. So my point is, is can you learn from someone else's mistakes? Yes. Yeah, you don't have to repeat them. Alright, why don't you all stand up with me? I need some company on my feet. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm not a slacker. I use what God gives me. Don't you always love when the pastor does that? Which neighbor do I look at? I didn't have a neighbor to look at. Well, then say it to yourself, right? Alright, you can be seated. I just see some people getting tired and you need to move around a little bit and wake up. <clears throat> yeah, do jumping jacks. There we go. So, he, he goes by the field of the slacker. He sees that weeds have grown up. Thistles have grown up. The place has gone to pot. The wall around the place is breaking down. It's just not being taken care of. And he says, I saw it and I took it to heart. I looked and received instruction. He says, a little sleep. This is what he learned. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest and your poverty will come like a robber and your need like abandoned. In other words, you didn't even see it coming. Laziness will do that. Learn to hate laziness. I remember thinking that I was lazy because I didn't like the work. So I thought, since I don't like it, I must be lazy. No, there's even a difference. You don't have to like something, but you can still not be lazy. You can still be diligent. You can still put your hand to excellence to it, whether you enjoy it or not. Proverbs 10.4 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor. You want to become poor? Remember, that's the Scriptures we're looking at. How to do it. There's how. Have a slack hand. Be lazy. Here's some more in chapter 21. The one who loves pleasure will become poor. The one who loves pleasure. In other words, always spending their money on things that bring pleasure. You know, There's more pleasurable things to do out there than most of us probably have money. And so if you didn't use management and wisdom, you could just spend yourself right into the poorhouse for all the nice things. It goes on and says, whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. Talking about eating it, consuming it, right? You're, you're eating your seed, the wine and the oil. And then he says in two or three verses later, he goes, precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person. So it's not that a wise person doesn't have oil and wine, it's that they're just not consuming it. Consuming today's pleasures at the expense of tomorrow. You know, wise people are willing to sacrifice today. They're willing to spend today's money for tomorrow's benefit. And foolish people spend tomorrow's money for today's benefit. It's called credit cards. Okay, I'm not against credit cards. We use them all the time. We just pay them off every month. Right? They're just a means of 
gaining points for airline miles. I, I travel a lot, right? But we don't, we don't carry a balance and I would strongly urge you to, to look at what am I doing? Am I borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today? And if you are, figure out a way to not do that. To change your way. So on the flip side, that's how to uh, scriptures on actions that lead to poverty. Then there were scriptures on actions that lead to wealth and riches. You know, wise management can, can bring wealth. But there are specific steps that are given to us in Scripture that tell us that these things will result in godly wealth. And so here are Scriptures on how to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you go, like I said the other week, you know, whoa, did I come into one of those health and wealth churches? You did. But it's too late to leave now. You might as well sit and listen to the whole sermon before you decide to leave. Verse, uh, chapter 28, we're looking at Scriptures that talk about bringing wealth. Re- actions that result in godly wealth. In, in, in Proverbs 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, the one who works his land will have plenty of food. Now this ought to be encouraging to some of you that don't have land. The one who works his land. So it would be a good thing for you to have land. To believe God for land. To, to save money aside to invest in land. So that you can have plenty of food. He goes on and he says a faithful person will have many blessings. Not just slightly blessed, but have many blessings. What kind of person? A faithful person. So one who works what he has will have plenty of food. And a faithful person will have many blessings. Wise management, I said, brings wealth. Here, here's one in Proverbs 27. It says, know well the condition of your flock. Know well the condition of your flock. How is my flock doing? What shape are they in? How many of them are there? Are any of them pregnant out there? Is it time for some of them to be bred? Do some of them have hoof problems? We used to have a herd of sheep and you'd have to, we'd, we'd know each sheep individually. I mean, we didn't name them, but pretty soon if you spend enough time with them, you can recognize every cow, every sheep, every ostrich, whatever we had. Now, we also had chickens and we had 12,000 of those and I never did get to know those individually. But, but the other bigger animals we did, right? We could, have, we could have walked right out amongst 30, 40, 50 of them and, and we knew exactly, you know, we'd talk to each other. Well, yeah, the one cow with the weird mark right above is weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. You know, we knew exactly what we're talking about. So, what is this saying? Know the condition of your flock. Pay attention to your herds. You know, we talk about having order before increase comes. Know the condition of your bank account. Know the condition of your business. Know the condition of what you have. You might not have a flock of sheep, but you have a job. If you have a job. And if you have a job, there's income that's coming in. So you need to know what is coming in, what is going out. What can I expect to go out this month? Your hard expenses, you know, your electric, your water, your, your internet, whatever you've got going on, things you know are going to be coming due. And then you look at this side and say, well, this is this amount. Well, I have to have X amount over here to meet this amount. And if the amount going out is greater than the amount coming in, then you have to make some adjustments, right? Otherwise, you'll be going into the red and digging a hole and you know, the fastest way to stop digging a hole is stop digging. You can't borrow your way out of trouble. 
You can't borrow yourself out of debt. Come on. I'm Again, not against borrowing money. It can absolutely be used to help you, but you can't borrow your way out of bad decisions. <clears throat> know well the condition of your flock. Pay attention to your herds, for wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for all time. When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from the hills is gathered in, so it's talking about a certain time of the year, lambs will provide your clothing and goats the price of your field. There will be enough goat's milk. Well, actually, notice that. Lambs will provide your clothing. This is management. There's a certain part of your income that's going to cover your needs. And then there's another part of your income. The goats here are going to be for your investing. Buying lambs. Therefore, your land. You don't eat dirt. At least I don't. Right? So, therefore, your lands. So there is wisdom to be used in the income that you have. And if you always live on less than you make, you'll always have a little extra at the end of the month to put towards investing. Alright? And so, what does it say? Know the condition of your flock. And then there's going to, you know, the lambs are for this purpose, the goats are for the investing. And then he says, and there will be enough goat's milk for your food. Food for your household, nourishment for your female slaves. Let's say it a different way. Your investments are eventually going to be feeding you. The goats are for the price of the land. And oh, and by the way, <clears throat> now the goat's milk. You'll live off of your investment overflow. See, this is wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon just laid out for us right here. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to I'm gonna just get even direct with this whole thing on checkbooks. Because this is an area that probably hits home for us here more than any other area. And that is, is are you do you know the condition of your balance books? You know, do you write them in or do you have to log online to see What's the balance on my bank account? And if you have to log online to see what your balance is, you're operating foolishly. Alright? I don't know of any one single person in here that is doing that. So if you think I have you singled out, I do, but I don't know it. Okay? Alright? And so if, if this is you to where you're living and you don't ever know what's there without looking, well, you know, debits don't happen immediately. Sometimes they can take a couple hours. Sometimes it can be a couple days. A lot of times they show up the next day. And so you don't know where you're at. Plus there could be checks out. And so then you wind up with bounce checks. You wind up with insufficient funds and all these things. And this is not knowing the condition of your flock at all. This is poor management. And this should not be as a believer who is walking in the wisdom of God. It shouldn't be named among you. I used to do that. Okay, so I'm not talking like someone who hasn't been there and done it and made these mistakes. Thank God for my lovely wife. She helped pull me out of that. And, and once I found out there was strength there in her, oh, you, you helped me with this. Here, you're assigned with this portion. I'll go out and make the money and you keep all the zeros growing over here. Right? And so we work together well that way. But I'm telling you, what does Scripture say? Know the condition of your flock. Order before increase. So if, if this is you, how, let me just say it real, real simple. How do you expect the blessing of God to work for you when you won't even do the simple common sense thing of keeping your checkbook balanced and right? 
It's like, I don't want to do the work, Lord, but bless me anyway. I don't want to walk in wisdom, but I do want to walk in Your blessing. It's not going to work that way. You don't even have a right to expect the blessings of God if you're not willing to walk in the wisdom that is so simple. Just balance your books. I know I seem, I may seem like I'm being hard, and that's because it's, it's some of, someone in here needs that. And there's a way out of this, and it's called repentance. I don't mean falling on your knees and, and all of that. I'm talking about changing. Saying, you know what? I'm going to get this sorted out. And from here on, I'm going to keep my books balanced. I'm going to know where I'm at. I'm going to know the state of my flocks. I'm going to, I'm going to know. Remember Jesus, because He was such an... I don't even know if we're going to ever get to the sermon. Because this is all still in review. Remember Jesus when He um, fed the 5,000. So they're out there in the desert and... The whole crowd shows up, and I don't, they probably didn't know how many people there were at that time. It was just a bunch of people. And so, but look at what happened. Order before increase. So, the first thing he established was he recognized the need of the people, the condition of the flock. They were hungry. Right? Then he recognized the time of day for the flock. It's late. They don't have time to go somewhere and get food to eat. So he is, he knows the condition of the flock. The next thing is he finds out and understands what he has on hand. What he has at his disposal. Five loaves and two fish. Right? They know precisely what they have. The amount they have on hand. Then they decide, how much do we need? How many people are there? So they set them in groups of 50 and hundreds. You do that for counting purposes. He sets them down in the grass in groups of 50 and 100. And see, what's he doing? He's knowing the condition of his flock. And all of this happens before the miracle of increase. And then we see him take what he had available to him, give thanks for it, and begin to share it. And miracle of miracles, he feeds 5,000 people until they're all stuffed full, including himself. See, he could have just, well, I'm the teacher. I, Definitely, I need to eat, else I won't be able to teach them, so I'll just eat the five loaves and two fish. But he didn't. Instead, he fed them, and in turn, he was fed. And then, we're not done talking order here, when it was all said and done, they knew the, exactly how much they'd left over. The excess. Order, and then comes increase. Remember, we're looking at actions that lead to wealth, to be healthy. To be wealthy, to be wise. Remember, in her right hand is long life, and her left hand is riches and honor of wisdom. And so apply this in your business, apply this to your checking accounts, apply this to your life, to your finances. Bring order to your finances. If you don't know what's going on, figure it out. Don't be in condemnation. Just say, hey, the wisdom of God came to me and shows me that I need to know the state of my accounts. That's what a flock is, right? It's your account. Alright, let's go on. Proverbs 28 says this, the one who gives to the poor will not be in need. Remember, we're looking at actions that lead to wealth. Scriptures that talk about actions that lead to wealth. The one who gives to the poor will not be in need. What Jesus gave to the poor and He was not in need. He had a full stomach and 12 baskets left over. Psalms 41 
Verses 1 through 3 says this. It's the Psalm of David. It said, Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. He will not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. So even if he should get sick, being kind to the poor will do this for you. And see, that's the thing. Is we look around at people and we go, well, how come God do this for them? Or how come you know, God didn't do that for them? Well, we don't know a lot of things, do we? We don't know their backstory, what they've done or not done in, for the poor, for example. Back in Proverbs 19 now, it says, kindness to the poor. Jen read this verse earlier when, before we took the offering. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. He will give a reward to the lender. And I pointed this out last sermon, but a reward to the lender is not returning the amount you loaned. It is returning the amount you loaned plus. That's reward. Reward to the lender. The Lord does it. It's considered kindness to the Lord. Proverbs 22.9 A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. You want to be blessed? Share your food with the poor. We're looking at actions that lead to wealth. Psalms 112 says, Hallelujah! Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in His commands. Verse 3, Wealth and riches are in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. What kind of person? The person who fears the Lord, who takes delight in His Word. It says, Wealth and riches are in His house. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 5 says, Good will come to the one who lends generously and conducts his business fairly. He will never be shaken. The righteous one will be remembered forever. He will not fear bad news. His heart is confident, trusting in the Lord. His heart is assured. He will not fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He distributes freely to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll read in verse 1. What did Jesus say about this? Did Jesus give any instructions? I mean, didn't Jesus say, you know, give away everything that you have? Well, if you read the whole account, you'll actually see He said, give away everything that you have and you'll get a hundred times more. Which is completely different than many places have taught it. But if we're going to be students of the Word, we're going to take the whole counsel. Look here in, in, in verse 1 of Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Notice it does not say, don't practice your righteousness in front of anyone. No, your motive. It's talking about motive. Don't do it to be seen. Sometimes someone may seen it, but that, see it, but that can't be your motive. Otherwise, so if you're doing it to be seen, otherwise you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, or whenever you do alms, that, the word alms means give to the poor, okay? Whenever you do alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Why would they do that? Well, to be noticed for the good deed they did, to get their gold plaque up on the wall, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Now, he doesn't say that it's, it's sin. He doesn't say that now they're going to hell. He doesn't say any of that. He just says that's their reward. It's people thinking well of them for what they did. But we all know people, how fickle people are, how quickly they forget. And I mean, 
you can be the world's hero one week and two months later, you know, you're forgotten. So your reward is just temporary, fleeting, dissolves. Then Jesus said, but when you give to the poor, notice he does not say if. He absolutely expects that as believers, as sons and daughters of the Most High, that we're going to give to the poor. This is one of the things we'll be known for. So he says, when you do it, when you give to the poor, when you do alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly or the word means visibly. What you do in secret will be rewarded publicly, we could say. And the thing with this is, is I'll just make a few, a few points on this because we're talking about Scripture's actions that lead to wealth. When you give to the poor, do it in secret. Why do it in secret? There's several reasons for it. One is it protects you from having wrong motives. For example, a lot of people give because they have a motive of either getting a tax deduction or to be seen or to get good press or on and on and on. And if you take those things away, it's amazing how many times the gift stops. Well, because I wanted a tax deduction. Well, so are you giving it to where the Lord's directing you to give it, or are you just giving it for numbers and zeros reasons, right? And so here he's saying, do it in secret. The other reason we do it in secret is to protect the one who it's being given to. Not to embarrass them, not to make them feel badly, you know, not to make them feel somehow less than. And if you do it in secret, it doesn't mean that the person receiving it doesn't know where it came from. It could mean that. But if the person receiving it doesn't know where it came from, now they don't feel indebted to anybody. We have a lot of money that flows through Church of the Word's accounts to other people that are in need in, in this body. And they don't know who gave it. And it's wonderful. Because they don't know, they, they're not going to feel indebted to anybody. But the Lord's speaking to someone and saying, this person has a need. And so this person obeys God and meets the need. And then that person goes, thank you, Lord. Who was that? I can't tell you. So they go, thank you, Lord. It results in thanksgiving to God. I get text messages regularly of people saying, hey, could you thank whoever did that? (laughs) Yeah, I wish you could all see what I see sometimes. So does God care about alms? Well, clearly, because Jesus said when you do it. Um, Another example of this would be in Acts um, chapter 10. Remember Cornelius? He was um, a centurion, what is known in the Italian regiment. And in verse 2, it says a devout man. He was a devout man. I'm reading to you in the ESV. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So what did he do? He is a Gentile. Let it be known. He is a Gentile who is giving alms, helping the poor, and he prays to the Lord. So he knew about the Lord. Now, not he wasn't born again yet because he didn't know about that. He just knew about the Jewish God. And in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. 
alms and prayer made all the difference to him and to his entire family about whether or not he received the gospel. Because he has a vision, an angel shows up in response to him doing alms and prayer. And then gives him direction on what he's supposed to do. And he sends and brings Peter. And this is where the gospel first gets preached to the Gentiles. I mean, amazing. And what opened the door for the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles? Some guy helping the poor and praying. Does God notice alms? We just read loads and loads of scriptures in Proverbs that talked about helping the poor and you'll be blessed. You won't go hungry. Yeah, he notices. Let's go over to 1 Timothy 6. Maybe we can go further and um, actually get into my sermon. I love all of you. And I'm not angry at anyone. I had someone ask me recently, were you angry? Because I seemed intense, I guess, when I was going through something. And no, I'm not angry at anyone. I love all of you. I really want you to uh, grab the truth of what I'm saying, though. So if I seem intense, good. This is not a circus though, John. Even if it's intense. <laughs> Some of you it takes longer than the others. I, I see that. Alright, if you found 1 Timothy, go to chapter 6 and we'll read verse 9. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. A trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So the desire to be rich just goes down a rabbit hole that is no good. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money, you just have to look around a little bit to see this playing out everywhere. Especially in society today, with the CDC, with the FDA, with all these different organizations, who, you know, the doctor system, the hospital system, it, the, the way the pharmacies operate, the way the insurance companies operate, it's all based on, as someone said yesterday, the beast system, the love of money. And because of their allegiance to the love of money, they're no longer doing what's right for the pe- person or the people. And so that's what the love of money will do. All kinds of evil. That's at the root of it. It's the beginnings of it. And if you look down in verse 11, it says, but you man of God, talking to Timothy, flee from these things. From what? From the love of money. From the desire to be rich. Chasing riches. And pursue what? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Isn't this a whole lot like what Jesus said in Matthew 6 where He said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. He was talking about clothing and Housing and shelter and all of that stuff. All these things will be added to you. So there's something we're supposed to seek. That's our part. And then He does His part and adds those things to us. He goes on. He says, fight the good fight of faith. It's going to take faith. It's going to be a fight. To lay hold of eternal life. It's going to take effort. You've got to take it. You have to, re- you have to believe for it. Look down in verse 17. Now He gives more instructions about rich folks. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. So don't put your trust in your job. Well, I have a really good paying job. If everything goes pot, you know, I've got all this money saved up. I've got this money in crypto. I've bought a whole pile of gold. I'm set. No, don't put your, don't put your faith in your, what you have. But rather put it on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Right here gives you the right to enjoy your wealth. 
He richly gives us all things to enjoy. He's talking about money. So can you enjoy your wealth? Absolutely. But you have to remember that it's the purpose of it being given to you isn't so that you can have a comfortable lifestyle. That's just a side benefit. It's given to you so that you can be a conduit of God blessing others. Bringing change to situations. Verse 18, instruct them to do what is good. To do what is good. It's a lot harder to do what's good when you have no money. To do what is good. To be rich in good works. And to be generous and willing to share. Storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of what is truly life. Hebrews 13.16 says, don't neglect to do what is good and to share. Someone say share. Say, I'm not supposed to neglect what is good and I am supposed to share. Goes on says, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Did you know that doing what's good and sharing is a sacrifice that gets God's attention? We don't do these things to get His attention, but they're things He responds to. They're things that He notices. That He acts upon. Because these are laws He's put in place. He said, well, well, Pastor, I don't have much to give. That doesn't matter. Do what you can. Remember the widow's might? I mean, there was only two little pennies that were nothing, but they were big in the kingdom. Because it opened the door wide open to blessing to come to her. For riches to come to her. It opened the door for God's help. Not that she bought His help, but her act of faith. What does God respond to? Faith. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That's what He responds to. And if you'll do it in faith, then you have Him helping you. See, we're commanded to give to the poor. It's all through Scripture. But now I'm going to ask you an interesting question. How do we decide which poor people to give to? How do we decide which ones get the help? Is it just any poor? Or is it certain poor? How do we decide? Jesus made this statement when they were criticizing um, the lady for pouring perfume, a year's worth salary over his feet. And she's wiping his feet with her hair. And they're criticizing this waste of money. And Jesus says to them, you always have the poor with you. You can do what is good for them whenever you want. But you don't always have me with you. And so my point in reading you that is we always have the poor with us. There are more poor people. There is more need around any one of us than any one of us could ever meet. Alright? So we don't give to need just because need exists. God doesn't work that way. Neither should we. So we're going to be Spirit-led in what we do, but there is Scriptures that explain to us principles of operation, ways to make these decisions. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Scriptures that tells us who gets priority, who gets the help. Go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3 and verse 17. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer, say fellow believer, a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Implying that it doesn't. If you have the ability to meet the need and you see a brother or sister, a believer that has this need 
and yet you don't help them, that's not operating in the love of God. Verse 18, he says, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. You know, it's one thing to say, be blessed and yeah, I'll, I'll believe with you. It's another thing to actually meet the need and to give of your own possessions to be able to help a fellow believer. Notice it says fellow believer. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not get tired of doing good. For Now, this particular portion of Scripture is talking about sowing and reaping. It's with the things he had just mentioned right before this. Talked about sowing and reaping and bearing each other's burdens and talks about finances. Well, if you'll look at verse 9, he says, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, here's why. As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. So would that include everyone? All of mankind? The good of all. Let's work for the good of all. Then he narrows it down a little bit. Especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Romans 12.13 says this, Share with the saints in their needs. Who are the saints? Those who Jesus Christ is their Lord. They're the saints. It doesn't say share with the ain'ts in their needs. Share with the saints in their needs. In doing this, you will be pursuing hospitality. Pursue hospitality. These are commands. They're not ifs. Again, share with the saints. So who... Why does he say especially those of the household of faith? Are you starting to see there's a priority that needs to be given? You know, there's organizations that have sent relief semis full of supplies and things into places that were hit with hurricanes, things like that down at the Gulf. And they said this goes to churches. Wait a minute. What do you mean to churches? Yes, to believers. This goes to believers. To churches. Well, well, wait. What should, what, that's not even fair. What do you mean it's not fair? The Word tells us to take care of other believers. There's example after example in Scripture of this happening. Of people sending money to each other because there was need. This is our first responsibility. After that comes others. I know, some of you are looking at me like, okay, let's go to Matthew 25. A good healthy dose of, dose of skepticism is good. You need to weigh what he says against the word. Okay, don't take what I say just because I say it. Study it out in the word for yourself. Matthew 25. And let's look in verse 31. This is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Okay, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, judgment throne. Verse 32, all nations, that's everyone, will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Alright, so this is salvation. The issue of salvation. Saved, not saved. Sheep, goats. The sheep are those who have, have been saved. The goats are the ones who have not. And so now He begins to judge the sheep and the goats on their works. This is the judgment of works. 
And look at what happens here. The most amazing thing. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, the ones that have salvation, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, I, Jesus, I, was hungry and you gave me, Jesus, something to eat. I, Jesus, was thirsty and you gave me, Jesus, something to drink. I, Jesus, was a stranger and you took me, Jesus, in. I, Jesus, was naked and you clothed me. I, Jesus, was sick and you took care of me. I, Jesus, was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When, Lord? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, brothers of mine, you did for me. He does not say whatever you did for the least of these humanity. you got to catch the difference. There's a difference between humanity and body of Christ. Whatever you did for these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he turns to those the goats on the left and he goes, you know, go into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Just a side note, hell was never prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But those that serve the devil and his angels get to go to hell with him. He, he says, I was hungry. You didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. I, Jesus is speaking. says all these same things. And then they too are perplexed and answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger, without clothes or sick, or in prison and not help you? And then He answers them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you didn't do for Me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here's what I want you to catch. There's only one way to be a brother to Christ. To be part of the body of Christ. Jesus is not His head. Okay, He is the head, but we are the body. And the head and the body are one body. You, you can't separate them. And when He says what you did for me, whether it was for His little toe or His elbow or His face, doesn't matter. It's all for Him. And who is in the body of Christ? Well, Luke said it this way when they said, hey, your family's outside looking for you. He says in Luke 8, verse 21, He replied to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the Word of God. Those are the people who are the brothers of Christ. So when Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these my brothers, He is talking about the body of Christ and whatever you did for the body of Christ is what you, this whole judgment was on. Both groups, sheep and goats, were judged for what they did for the body of Christ in the earth. So should the body of Christ get preference when you're giving to the poor? Absolutely. Does that mean we shouldn't give to someone who's not a believer? No. No. We have Scripture that says to do good to all. Right? That includes them. But if it comes down to believer, unbeliever, you know where your choice is. The believer. Who gets the help? See, a lot of the world sees Christianity, and even a lot of churches, unfortunately, see Christianity as just a humanitarian relief organization. Humanitarian aid. 
gets sent all around the world and a lot of times without the gospel. And that's a tragedy. The purpose of humanitarian aid is to show the goodness of God that it opens the door to them hearing and receiving the gospel. If you give humanitarian aid without preaching the gospel, all you're doing is sending them to hell comfortable. They're well-dressed and have full stomachs but still went to hell. What good is that? See, it's not about humanitarian aid. It is about getting the gospel to them which can absolutely change their life. And should we give humanitarian aid to places that, that hate Christ, that hate Christians? Well, not if they're not willing to hear the truth. I know that's not real popular in today's, today's world, but it's true nonetheless. Alright, let's look at some more qualifications to who should receive aid. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about widows. There was a group of widows that should, and there's a group of widows that should not. My mom is a widow. I grew up a widow's son, and we support her today. She also has a job. She works. But my mom is very well known for, I mean, she's always blessing people and doing things for others, and, and that's what they know about my mom. You know, growing up, I would never see her just sitting around doing nothing. If there, we didn't have something to do at home, then she would go help someone else. That was just how I grew up watching. Okay? So, let's read here in 1 Timothy 5, in verse 3, it says, Support widows who are genuinely widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them learn to practice godliness toward their own family first and to repay their parents, for this pleases God. So we, children and grandchildren, are supposed to take care of their parents, take care of widows, their widows, first. Alright, it's our responsibility. Verse 5, the widow who is truly in need and left all alone has put her hope in God and continues night and day in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command this also so that they will be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is extremely strong language. Extremely strong language. Part of honoring your father and mother, part of that word honor means paying money. So if you have a father and mother that's alive in here, then, then walk in honor towards them. And if they need something, check up on them. Do you need anything? You go, well man, I don't know how my bills are getting paid. You know what? You do what the Lord says, He's going to help you too. He goes on in verse 9. No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband, and is well known for good works. That is, if she has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to every good work but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when they are drawn away from Christ by desire, they want to marry, and will therefore receive condemnation because they have renounced their original pledge. Apparently, there was some sort of pledge that they were taking to remain unmarried and work maybe in service um, for the body. I don't know, but apparently there was some sort of pledge there that we're not being told about. At the same time, in verse 13, they also learn to be idle going from house to house, they are not only idle, but are also gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't say. Therefore, I want younger women to marry, have children, 
manage their households, and give the adversary no opportunity to accuse us. For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any unbelieving woman has widows in her family, let her help them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can help widows in genuine need. Now, obviously, if the widow doesn't have family to take care of her, then the church is going to take care of the widow. Right? And, and, and in this house, we have widows in this house. Listen, when you hear when there's a need, and if you can meet it, meet it. If not, let us know. Because we can help. Right? The church can help. So, my point in reading this to you isn't to focus on widows. It is to look at there are qualifications to receiving help. There, there was a real qualification thing that was going on there. Part of it had to do with the pledge they apparently took. And if you look in Second Thessalonians 3, he says similar things about qualifications. He says, in fact, when he was talking about when he, we, we, Paul and others were with them, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. If anyone isn't willing to work. It does not say if anyone is not working. It says if they will not work. Or refusing to work. I mean, we have so many places right now that are hiring. There's zero excuse for not having a job. If you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. That's like the most anti He said, because we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now, we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working, they may eat their own food. Go work. Make yourself something to eat. Brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. He's saying even in spite of that, right? And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person and don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. And this word ashamed, the literal meaning is that he may self-reflect and turn around. And the next verse says, yet don't treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So we are called to work. Ephesians 4.28 says this, let the thief no longer steal. Now, remember, he's writing to believers. Kind of weird that he has to remind believers not to steal, but he's doing it. Apparently, there were some thieves at the Ephesus church. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, here's what he's supposed to do. He is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. There's the purpose for it. Sharing. Am I allowed to keep any of it for myself? Remember in Acts 4 in the early church where they share all their things in common? And in Acts 4 in verses 34 and 35, it says that there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands, plural, or houses, plural, sold them. And brought proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. They weren't selling the house they lived in. Lands, plural. Houses, plural. They were selling the excess and sowing that to the poor. And then, we know revival broke out. It was amazing. Worship team, you can come. I'm going to continue to read some examples here. In Acts chapter 6, 
In the first seven verses is a story about how Stephen was ordained and became a deacon. And it became a waiter, because that's what a deacon means. And in verse 1 it says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So it's the Greek, the Greek Jews versus the Hebrew Jews. And they're saying, hey, you guys as widows are receiving better treatment than ours. Ours are being overlooked in the daily food distribution. So this was such an important deal to the early church and to the disciples that they call a, a citywide church meeting. And this is what they say in verse 2. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, so now they're going to give wisdom of God on how to deal with this. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. This duty of what? Waiting tables. Handing out the food. It says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. It's important to stay in your calling. Staying in your calling doesn't mean ignoring the need. This was important enough that the Lord saw to it that this, this, this alms to other believers, He was so important, the Lord saw to it to put it in Scripture for us today to grow from. He goes on and He says in verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole company. So they choose seven of these guys. And um, in verse 6, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the Word of God, this is the result, the Word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. A large group of priests became believers. And then as you know, Stephen preached that message that got him stoned. And persecution breaks out. And the church scatters. Some of them run up to Antioch, Turkey now. And where Larry Mills is at. And one of these guys from up there, some chapters later, he's a prophet. And he's named Agabus. And he says this in, 11, in Acts 11.28, he stood up and he predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. So in response, in preparation for this, each of the disciples, according to his ability, not beyond their ability, but according to what they could do, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So even there, there was a certain order in how they did it. They sent it to the church elders down there in Judea, and then they dispersed it to those who had need. They took care of each other. You know, that needs to be the calling card of churches today, of CWI. Alright? If we're going to be church of the Word, that means there should never be a person here with needs that are unmet. That we always take care of each other. This is one of the ways people recognize this, this is a calling card to the kingdom of God. See how they treat each other. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love isn't just word and deed, it's in action. And this is what makes the difference. And people look at that and go, oh wow, I want to be part of that. I remember being in um, Colorado and, and we had... 
Um, how was this? We had just gotten married or were planning to get married. We were somewhere right around that time. And I had um, some hard times come upon me in my pickup. And the engine quit, and this happened, and that happened. And, and so by the time that these expenses were gathered together, I didn't have enough. And so the Mennonite church that I was a part of, they were small, but they were like, hey, we want to help. And so they, they paid off the balance and took care of me. And the guy I was working for was a Jack Mormon. What that means is a not practicing Mormon. And um, because he was out of out of Utah and, and he had a hardwood flooring company. And so at that time I was working for him and he asked me what I did. And so I explained, well, the church paid it. And he's like, they did what? I said, yeah, the church paid it. I paid what I could, but I only had, you know, what, what I had. I explained. And this is the amount that the church covered. And he was like, that's amazing. And he goes about carrying some more tools out of the, the, the vehicle and he comes back and he says, Sid, don't ever leave that group of people. He said, that's unique. That's different. I haven't heard of that. Okay? We've heard of that. We do that. We live that. But I want to, this is what unbelievers should think looking at the body of Christ. First Corinthians, I'm almost done. First Corinthians 16, the first two verses say this. Now about the collection for the saints, the offering for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside something and save in keeping with how he is prospering. So a percentage, okay? So that no collections will need to be made when I come. So apparently they had determined that they were going to take an offering and when you guys come, we're going to give it to you and it's for the saints over in this other place. And so he's just giving them wisdom and saying plan for it. Each week, save a little bit. That's a lot more easy, right? A lot easier would be better English than trying to come up with it all at once. Remember the Lord some years ago, I gave us wisdom on how to do this and we made what we call God accounts. And we have our own personal accounts, bank accounts. Remember, know well the state of your flock. One other thing we did, we said we need another herd. And so we created another account and we called it our God account. And so when money comes in, when the paycheck comes in, the first thing that comes off is the tithe portion. That's the 10%. And that goes into the God account. And then from that God account, we'll, at the service that weekend, take the money to the service, right? Have a checkbook that's for the God account. Well, aside from that, we also decided we're going to take and we're going to lay aside above and beyond the tithe just Offerings, because offerings, alms, first fruits, they're all different things. They're not tithes. Those are all, all, four, all four different things. So we decided just in, uh, other offerings that we want to give, we're going to do this certain amount above and beyond the tithe every paycheck. It's not so much that we're in pain that week, but it's enough that several months into it, wow, you can really make a difference to one person or one need. And what we do is we put it in there until the Lord directs us. The tithe goes goes comes here actually um, that next weekend. All right, but the excess that gets put into our God account it stays there until the Lord directs us to do this with it, do that with it, put some here, put some there, and now we're prepared. We can help out one thousand five hundred, two thousand. And I remember the day when man, I had, my desire to help was there, but I had no ability. 
Okay, maybe I can help 20 bucks. I mean, that's all I have. But in preparing, laying aside some every week towards it, now when the Lord prompts you, hey, be a part of this thing here. Well, now you can. I'll finish with two more places in Proverbs 28, 27. I already read this to you. The one who gives to the poor will not, will not be in need. I don't care if you're so poor that you're receiving aid yourself. Still give to the poor. This is your way out of it. Psalms 41, 1 and 3. For the, it says, this is the Psalm of David. Happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in the day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him. He will be blessed in the land. He will not give him over to the desires of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. You will heal him on the bed where he lies. So be spirit-led in your giving. You know, check with the Lord. Don't just respond to need, but check on the inside. Should I do that? Should I be a part of that? And another way that we make it available here that if you have need, on the back lobby table in the lobby is will be an alms basket. And you'll see it there um, every weekend. And if you have a need, you can help yourself out of that basket. We do have one of the ushers standing there to just be accountable for what's happening with the basket. All right. So the usher's going to see you. That's just fine. They're not telling people. All right. You take what you need. If you have extra and you want to be part of blessing others, you can put cash in there. You know, or I've seen gift cards in there, but don't put like checks in there because just put that in the regular uh, basket and write alms on it, and we'll make sure that it gets put in the right place or it gets dispersed. But that basket, we're going to keep it full enough. Whether you guys, you guys have done a really good job of keeping it full enough, even in spite of the people with the needs, right? Um, but even if you weren't doing that, we'll make sure that from the church funds, that there's enough money there to be able to meet needs on a weekly basis. And um, we're not going to see, I've told you this two, three weeks ago, we're not going to have people with unmet needs in this house. Not as long as you and I are here. All right, stand with me. Let's, let's worship. Let's enact our faith as we go into this Christmas season, New Year season, time of, of, of resolutions, all of those things. Uh, and let's put our faith to being conduits for the Lord. Conduits of His goodness. Conduits of being an accurate reflection of the Lord. On your way out tonight, if you did not get an orange at the Christmas party last night, there is a partial box down by the door. Feel free to pick up some oranges and um, be glad. Levi, catch. We do glorify you, Lord, and we bless you. We're so grateful, Lord, that we can call you Father. That you made a way for us to come to you anytime, night or day. We thank you, Lord, that your ears are open to our cry. We thank you, Father, that you have given grace upon grace to us. And we just determine, Lord, with your help, we're going to fulfill all that you have dreamed about us walking in. 
all that you've designed and created us for us to step into. We thank you for this. And we will do it. In Jesus' name. I just feel impressed to pray this. If someone has been dealing with depression or darkness in some form like that, I'm going to break that off of you in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to release peace upon you. Father, I thank you that you have given us the authority of the name of Jesus. So right now, I break this deceptive spirit, because that's what it is, this darkness, this depression off of you in Jesus' name, off of every person in here, every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Lord, for your peace, and I release peace upon you in Jesus' name. Be filled with the presence of the Lord. Spirit of God, come upon them with refreshing, with renewing, Lord. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. He is the Prince of Peace for a reason. The Prince of Peace. Someone say, He is my Prince of Peace. And I am at peace. I am victorious. I am more than a conqueror. He has redeemed me. So therefore, I am victorious. In Jesus' name. Alright, one way we love God in this house is we love on each other. So do that. Everyone's invited downstairs to a time of fellowship. everyone. Wow, we're so glad to see everybody. You are such a great family to get together on a Saturday evening. So beautiful. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Do you agree with that? Boy, we live it. We live the blessed life. We're so blessed. What's your favorite psalm? Do you have one? Do you have a one? When I asked you that question, could you think of a psalm that just mm. ministers to your heart, that you've memorized, that is just one of your favorite ones? You should have one. It's really, it's really good to memorize certain psalms that have really ministered to your heart over the years. And I've got one that I'm just going to share with all of you tonight to encourage you in our worship time together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. And as you're hearing this psalm, think about the things that the Lord is saying to you that would minister to him. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, a thankful heart. Let us shout joyfully to him. With, with psalms, with music, with whatever's in our heart. For the Lord, he is great. He's a great God and a great king above all the gods. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. Make it that personal. Say, he is my God. And we are the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. 
sing to the Lord. See, these are things that are going to minister to the Father and Jesus tonight. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory from among the nations, his wonders from among all the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Give the Lord, O families of the people on the earth, give the Lord glory and give him strength. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering. And sometimes to sacrifice in praise and worship, it is an offering to the Lord. But bring that offering to him into his courts. And let's worship the Lord tonight in the beauty of his holiness. Amen. Well, that's an act of our will, isn't it? See, I like to say we don't have to, we get to. So let's stand together as family tonight and let's worshiply do what he asks in his word because it's not just to bless the Lord, it's to bless you as well. find yourself ever in a position where you don't feel joyful, there's a real easy way to become joyful, and that is begin to count your blessings. What has the Lord done for me? And you begin to recall, you know, remember that time, and remember this time, and, and one memory pulls on another memory, and you just go back into your history, even if it's 20, 30, 40 years ago, remember what the Lord did for you. And before you know it, there's something that'll start bubbling up on the inside of you, and we call it joy. All right? Remember and be glad, right? We, we serve a God that, I mean, victory is what He does. Victory is what He does. It's what He has done and what He continues to do. He is the God who was, who is, and who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's take a moment because He is that kind of God. And let's lift up some things in prayer. We're going to pray for those that have um, been victims of the tornadoes that just happened last night in the, in the Midwest. And there's, an, I don't even know how many people have, his lives have been taken so far. But we know that um, this is not the Lord. A lot of times in times like this, people believe this is an act of God. But all we have to do is to read Job to see that, nope, the devil can control the weather too. And, and to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're going we're gonna to pray for them as well as we're going to pray for the ongoing abortion battle that's been going on in the Supreme Court. And uh, we've been having victories. Hallelujah. It's a beginning of what is to come. I believe that. I believe with all my heart the day is coming. We'll, we'll look back at society at this time and say, what was wrong with humanity? That they would go to such depraved extremes to kill little ones. I mean, the Lord loves to do miracles with little ones. You know that. We've got miracles in this house. People that were believing God for, for a little one to be born. And shoot, one of them's almost here, right? In answer to prayer. 
And then last but not least, we're going to pray for those who are sick, those of our loved ones that are recovering, and um, lift them up to the Lord. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you hear us tonight. And you said where two or three are gathered, you're there in the midst of them. So Father, we confidently present to you some requests. And we lift up every person that has been affected by these tornadoes. Those that have suffered loss and damage. Lord, I ask you to be near and dear to them. To to comfort them. to, To send people to minister light and life to them. Lord, I thank you that those that have have lost property, that it is restored in a way that is easily identifiable as you, Lord. I ask you, Father, to to those that have suffered, have, have loved ones have died, I ask you to just comfort them, be near to them in a special way. And Lord, I ask you to 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 send people to them to help them understand that this wasn't you. That this is an act of, of the enemy. This is an act of nature and, and not an act of you, Lord. We, we just take authority over lies that people believe, Lord. And we release truth upon the earth. Truth upon these people in these situations. And Father, I thank you too for the, the victories that we've already had. The small victories in this uh, battle against the taking of innocent life. And Lord, we lift up our Supreme Court justices to you and I ask you to continue to bring clarity of thought and mind to them that they would make just and true judgments, that they would stand with righteousness. Father, I thank you that you bring an awareness of right righteousness to our nation, to the people of our nation, to those that are from the smallest to the greatest, Lord. I thank you for this. We call an end to this abortion, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you too that you give healing, life, and health to all those that are suffering. All of our family members and those that aren't with us tonight because they are are sick or ill. We just call them healed in Jesus' name. Lord, I release life to them in this moment. We call them whole. We command their cells to respond to the finished work of Jesus at the cross. That by His wounds... They are healed. Someone say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, one way we love God is we hug each other. We love each other. We tell each other that we care about them and we're glad to see them. And while you're doing that, I'm going to release the children down to Children's Church and the ministry workers to their various places. Ah, sorry. All right, well, good evening, everyone. Y'all glad to be here tonight? How many enjoyed the Christmas party last night? We had a great time. We even managed to sing two different verses, A Silent Night, at the same time. I know, we're so talented. We didn't even plan it. It was entertaining. But anyway, we had a good time. Thank you so much, Nicole and Debbie and Alicia, for all that they did. Well, we'd like to welcome you if you're here for the very first time, because you just raised your hand so we can welcome any guests that are with us tonight. Anyone here for the first time? Well, welcome to CWI. We're glad you're with us. Let's be sure and uh, introduce yourself, family, to them, and welcome them 
All right, well, let's uh, prepare to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a card. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. I want to exhort you a little bit about honor tonight. You know, we honor what we consider valuable and worthy. You know, women, maybe you have a skincare product or hair product or something, and it's like, hey, it's costly or whatever, but it does something for you. And so you're willing to put it out. You know, men, I don't know, what's your thing? Knives or gear or something. Right now, he's real interested in merino. Is it merino wool? Is that how you say that? You know, it's really expensive wool, but, you know, you don't have to shower. It just soaks up the sweat and smell, and you just... Well, okay, it doesn't hold smell. You do have to shower. I just added that. But anyways, it's costly. It's valuable. And because he honors that and, and, and honors those that he's going on the mountain trip with, he's going to get merino wool. So, you know, because he's not going to have access to showers. So we honor what we consider and find valuable and worthy. And the more value or weight you place on something, the more honor or price you put on it, you're willing to put out for. Well, is the Lord worthy of our honor? He is worthy. You know, in Malachi, he says, if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect? You know, we owe the Lord honor. We owe him respect. And that was said in reference to the kind of offerings they were bringing to the Lord. If you read that in Malachi chapter 1, he was talking about the kind of offerings and the way they were handling them and treating them was not in honor, was not honorably. The main way that we honor the Lord is sacrifice, in sacrifices. Now, you can have a sacrifice of praise like Karen brought out. You can sacrifice your time. But, you know, when you think about um, how they did it in the Bible times, in ancient times, you know, most of the sacrifices that they did, they did have the sacrifice of praise. We know that's talked about. And obviously there was um, men of faith that laid down their lives to follow the Lord. Obedience is a way that we honor. But over and over you see that the sacrifices had to do with they offered up their, their livestock. And they didn't have dollar bills, you know. So the common man had their livestock. That represented... Uh, their livelihood, their ability to, to exist. You know, if you were a king or, you know, had, was a little higher up or whatever you want to, however you want to term it, maybe you had gold. You know, maybe you had precious stones or something like that. But you had valuables that you put on the altar, and that was the Lord's. Well, in Proverbs chapter 3, am I in the right place? Yes. 3, verse 9 says this, is honor the Lord with your wealth, with your substance, with your stuff, with the first fruits of all your crops. Well, a first fruit, I looked that word up and it says it means the first, the beginning, the best, chief, choice, part. So, you know, you're not just, well, let's see, let's take care of all these things. You know, you got, the, you got your wrench, you got the electric, and you got your, your gifts, birthday gifts, and oh, we're going to put aside for vacation. And, well, I don't know, what do we got left for the Lord? That, that's not honor. Now, the, we give the first. We give the best. We give that's what we... Because if we honor the Lord, if we count him valuable and worthy of respect, this is the way we treat him. This is our attitude 
towards him. But you know, everything about the kingdom of God has to do with sowing and reaping. And you see this law in operation. Watch verse 10. It says, then your barns. We could say storehouses. That's also, if you look that word up, storehouses. Well, bank accounts. Anybody put side in your bank account? Uh, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So in 1 Samuel 2, the Lord said this. He said, they that honor me, I will honor. Do you see that? You honor me, you're going to be honored. You honor me with your stuff, well, then you're going to have full stuff, lots of stuff. You're going to be filled to overflowing. This is, um, this is our God. This is his law that he's put into operation. I just wanted to bring out one other thing about honoring God. Proverbs 14. Why don't you turn there? If you can. Proverbs 14, verse 31 says this. says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. Uh, The last part of that verse, you know, I said, I referenced 1 Samuel 2 where it says, they that honor me, I will honor. It also says, they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed or be despised themselves. This says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Again, giving of your things. How would would you be kind to the needy? What would be something that a needy person would would consider kind? Well, probably to help them out. Probably to relieve a burden, you know? But then now let's turn over to Proverbs 19. Did I mark it? Sorry, I, I'll just be real transparent here, guys. We forgot a kit, some, some real important things on the way to church, so we dropped everybody off, and I flew right back home and made it just in time for the service. <laughs> but I wanted to point this out to you because it said that the Lord considers it honor to him when you're kind to the poor, but in Proverbs 19, verse 17, it says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. Do you see that again? The law of sowing and reaping. Give and it shall be given to you. It's just the nature of our God. All right. Well, let's take a hold of our tithe. And let's return it to him and pray over that. Father, we're so grateful tonight that we are your children. Lord, we just want to honor you in everything that we do. We want to honor you with our things with our lives, with the way we talk, with the way we treat others. Lord, show us how to come up in honor. Show us how to give you the respect that is due your name, that you desire and that we owe to you. We just love you, Lord, and we recognize that you are the giver of all good things. We recognize you as our provider, the sustainer of life. And we just thank you, Lord, that you have promised to meet our needs that you promised to open the window of heavens for us. We give you thanks for it and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, it's that time of year where we're gathering Christmas cards. So if you have Christmas cards you'd like to pass out to your church family, there's a box in the back lobby where you can bring them and Debbie is so kindly arranging them and making sure they get passed out. We'll be collecting those up until Christmas Eve. 
one of the things we like to do here at Church of the Word International each year around Christmas time is have a Christmas giving project. So this year our Christmas giving project is diapers, wet wipes, and baby food to give out to local pregnancy centers or people in need. And we're told that they have a great need for these items. So if you want to participate in that, you can bring them here to the church. There's a box where we're collecting them. I think it's in the lobby downstairs or in the, um, yeah, the entrance area. And just a reminder that our Christmas Eve service is at 5 p.m. It will go to approximately 6.30. And no child care other than that. The nursery in the back here will be open if you want to, as a parent, take your child to the back for some reason. All right, turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 4. And just to clear up any confusion that my wife may have inadvertently caused, I shower at least once a day and sometimes twice a day, all right? But in getting ready to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, it's a seven-day deal, the whole trip up, up and back, and there are no showers there. So that's why you look for clothing that is antimicrobial, that's not going to smell, and all of those things. But I'm not wearing it now, so don't worry. I've showered. You can hug me. You know, I don't have COVID, no cooties. I'm all right. All right, now that we have that out of the way, Proverbs chapter 4, did you find it? Never thought the topic of my showers would come up tonight, but here we are. 